Welcome to Dissidents and Dictators, a series of conversations by the Human Rights Foundation dedicated to exposing and challenging authoritarianism around the world. And you're listening to Eyes on Saudi, our special series this week as part of our regular Dissidents and Dictators podcast to highlight important human rights issues in Saudi Arabia, particularly as world leaders gather for the G20 summit this weekend, which is coincidentally being hosted by Saudi Arabia. Our aim is to spotlight the great lengths that the Saudi regime goes to in order to improve its image globally and whitewash its grave human rights record. So welcome everyone to this panel on Saudi sports washing and entertainment. I'm uh, the host, Ahmed Gatnash, uh, co-founder of the Kawakibi Foundation and host of the Arab Tyrant Manual podcast, where we research authoritarian strategies and tactics and how to resist. With me is uh, Karim Zidane, who is a journalist focusing on uh, the intersection of sports and politics. Arija Sadhan, uh, an activist and sister of the jailed Saudi dissident Abdurrahman Sadhan, and Gary Kasparov, who is a Russian democracy activist and chairman of the Human Rights Foundation. Welcome, everyone. So I'm going to start with you, Gary. Um, because people may be a little bit confused about why you're on a panel about Saudi Arabia. Um, you're not a Saudi expert, but your expertise with this topic is long-standing, probably the longest of anyone here, because you've seen these tactics as they've been used over the last two decades um, across Putin's rise and consolidation in Russia. So I want to ask you first, why do dictators love sports so much? Yeah, thank you very much for asking this question and just uh, explaining to our viewers that I'm I'm not an accidental guest in the show because the emphasis is not just Saudi but sports washing. The way dictators using uh, this kind of technique to buy uh, um, prestige, uh, some kind of authority and uh, connections in the free world. And uh, I have to say that uh, Putin was not the first either. So we have to go, you know, uh, deeper uh, in the history timeline. And uh, the, the, the one event that definitely comes to my mind is the uh, Berlin Olympics. Hitler recognized the power of, of Olympic Games to uh, um, cleanse his image. And uh, uh, it, it helped him to cover uh, his uh, first major aggressive war when, you know, at the day of the opening of Olympic Games in Berlin, the German Legion Condor, infamous Legion, uh, um, went to Spain uh, uh, just to start their um, history of, of, of uh, killing Spanish uh, Spanish uh, civilians, and uh, um, and then of course you know we we can also talk about Soviet Union and the communist uh, propaganda that always use sport as the as a way to to demonstrate the superiority of communist regime over decadent West. Uh, it was more as a sport competition. It was a fight between two systems, and uh, and the uh, Soviet Union pretended uh, um, that our athletes were, were were amateurs, though they were, of course were professionals. So that there was a state support. But Vladimir Putin actually moved these these um, uh, concept, this technique, to a to 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 a new level. He started a brand new game, not simply you now using resource of the state. To promote the promote uh, Olympics uh, or um, uh, sport um, uh, victories of representative of uh, of our country, but he decided just to go in, into the lion's den 
and uh, instead of you know um, uh, celebrating the victory of of um, uh, his teams over uh, the teams from the United Kingdom, why not to buy these teams? And uh, and uh, um, Roman Abramovich was first Russian oligarch who I'm no doubt followed Putin's recommendations, advice, and full support. Decided that you know that's the uh, club Chelsea was was a perfect uh, target for acquisition, and that's you know that's that that symbolizes the beginning of new era when um, money from uh, from uh, dictatorial countries have been has been used very effectively uh, um, for buying uh, very prestigious uh, sports clubs, uh, which created uh, it's a very very new situation that the free world didn't know how to handle because it was not just you know uh, buying Chelsea it's all of a sudden the Chelsea fans they view viewed Abramovich as the as a saver as the as as the man who just supports their their beloved club and and inevitably it helped Putin to push his agenda and uh, then we know that uh, it was followed by aggressively by by Qatar uh, Emirates, uh, but Saudi Arabia is, is is the latest, and it's of course the most blatant attempt, because uh, that was just the the latest acquisition of Newcastle was uh, was a plan to 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 cover uh, one of the most heinous crimes committed by the regime by killing Jamal Khashoggi. So to make the discussion a bit more specific, I'm going to bring in Arij because uh, uh, as a Saudi American, you witnessed. A few years ago, as Mohammed bin Salman ascended to power, the way he attempted to immediately harness the power of entertainment and sport to create an image which would be more favorable to him taking power and also um, extending his power uh, and enabling him to go beyond uh, the way any previous ruler had behaved in the country. Um, can you tell us about that? Yeah, it is really astonishing that um, Saudi Arabia started to uh, join the game of uh, sport washing or using soft tactic um, around just around the time when the human rights abuses uh, started to rise drastically in Saudi Arabia. Um, so using sport events and entertainment uh, to basically sell an image, a certain image that Saudi Arabia is becoming more open and modern and uh, more welcoming. But in reality, there is all this oppression going on uh, underneath all these uh, glorious and, you know, sparkling events. Um, one example is um, uh, try MBS have visited, you know, Silicon Valley and was going to all these uh, different companies, uh, high tech companies, um, taking pictures with CEOs, um, promoting an image that he is being open and he is funny enough, that was just two months after my brother was dis disappeared. And it was for basically for his tweets on on Twitter. So the, the that was a huge irony uh, going on. Uh, if, if there was really, a, you know, uh, trying to sell an image that, uh, you know, there's uh, all these reforms to country to, to be open uh, to to catch up with the with the new technologies on all of that in reality why all these things are happening at the same time and why all this cover up why people are being silenced why the ag aggressiveness in 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 terms of how uh, you know to go after whether it's critics or ac activists um, any voices at all which are actually critical in any any real reform 
so it's it's really astonishing that these two things were happening at the same time and that goes to the fact that it is actually uh, using sports is is an attempt to cover up uh, for uh, the the real um, you know the human right abuses um, and to polish that image but you know, uh, making real, you know, positive change for the country. And I must confess, watching uh, MVS as he took power and watching his uh, uh, infamous tour of the US when he met with people across the spectrum from politics, business leaders, CEOs, um, most people didn't notice um the sports and entertainment industry figures, they were slightly less high profile than the uh, congressmen and CEOs that he was meeting. But that was part of a long game that's only starting to bear fruit in the last couple of years. Karim, you've done a lot of investigations focusing on that. Um, can you tell us about some of the really big deals that have uh, been surfacing uh, involving Saudi Arabia and the worlds of sports and entertainment? Well, a lot of this began in around as part of uh, Hamad bin Salman's Vision 2030 expansion project to eliminate dependency on oil. One of the major uh, and really pivotal sectors that he wanted to focus on was sports and entertainment. So he started small. One of the first events that I do recall happening was a motorcade event actually called the Race of Champions. But it's very shortly thereafter, in early 2017, they signed a 10-year deal with the WWE, which is the World Wrestling Entertainment, in order to host at least annual, if not biannual, events within the kingdom. And they wanted them to be these mega events that are family-friendly and attended by, uh, by uh, like wide, wide, wide range of people on the spectrum in, in Saudi Arabia, etc. Then they ended up hosting PGA golf tournaments uh, from the European, uh, from the European League, and then they transferred transfer over to boxing afterwards. They held a fight by. Uh, a British Muslim, uh, well-known British Muslim boxer named Amir Khan. Then they hosted the biggest box match of 2019, which was the Anthony Joshua and Ruiz rematch. And uh, since then, it, it's it's been nonstop. They continue to sign on new agreements. They continue to sort of attract uh, all these major sports entities back. I mean, the Newcastle bid sure was a failed bid, but they've still been able to secure a large segment of boxing. For instance, it's very likely that the biggest boxing fight of 2021 will also take place in Saudi Arabia. And these are, these, this is a boon for, for Saudi, which spent a lot of money to be able to reach this location. In 2018, Saudi actually hired a lobbying firm called the Churchill Ripley Group, which goes by an international consulting firm, basically, that specializes in growth. And using this this lobbying firm, and as, along with Saudi Princess Rima bint Bandar Saud, they actually did an entire tour in the United States specifically focused on lobbying sports organizations. We're talking Major League Soccer. We're talking the National Hockey League. Uh, talking of a few other ones off the top of my head, they actually lobbied Madison Square Garden as well, Twitch, Kobe Bryant when he was alive, and even the World Surf League. They were interested in entering every single realm in sports whether it, i mean we've we've already discussed and mentioned of like a few of the reasons why they'd be interesting in doing this of course one of them is a distraction from the human rights abuses another is really a marketing ploy to create this facade of progress in saudi arabia so it's a very interesting very detailed methodical and strategic approach that they've been doing and they've managed to get a lot of big fish involved 
So a facade of marketing, um, economic diversification, distraction from human rights abuses. Um, Arij, you've been uh, the victim of those things, the distraction and the marketing, um, particularly given that so much of it overlapped with uh, your campaign for the release of your disappeared brother. Can you tell us, um, give us an insight into how it feels to be running these campaigns and at the same time be witnessing this happen? Of course, it's very disappointing and um, uh, really saddening to, to see that all these human rights abuses happening. I mean, my our case is one case, but in reality, there are many others who are actually suffering the same, if not even worse. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, in our case, my brother disappeared two, two years and a half. And during all of that time, he was allowed only one minute call after 23 months of disappearance. And he hasn't called again yet. We haven't seen him all of that time. No one from the family have seen him at all. And we've received, you know, a different reports of torture, mistreatment, uh, threats of death and so forth. Really horrific stuff. And uh, that is just by itself. This is just one case. Can you imagine how many out there who are suffering similar situations? How many mothers and father fathers are actually suffering from this? How many children are missing their, their father or mother? And how many brothers are just struggling day to day? Um, simply if you just even show sympathy, if you're in Saudi Arabia and you show sympathy to your even, uh, you know, in whatsoever, you know, in terms of freedom of speech, not even showing how you feel. So the level of oppression is really increasing every day. It, it wasn't like that before. There was oppression. There was, you know, uh, there wasn't freedom of speech before MBS. But after MBS came to power, these things have escalated uh, tremendously. The people cannot even, they cannot breathe anymore. So when you see when when you see all these um, you know events and the, the the way they are advertised, showing that this is the new Saudi Arabia that is you know catching up with the with the new world and so forth, it is really frustrating and it's really it it hurts us as as you know as families and and also for those who are unjustly you know uh, tortured, detained and in present indefinitely without any even real accusations. Uh, so it is really, you know, disturbing, to be honest, even if we were in the families of, of I mean, if, if even if I was someone else who was not going through that and I would hear of it, I would really I would really be disgusted because how is this happening? How is how is, you know, um, countries promoting to be open and to be modern and all of that madness going on underneath? Um, so it is really, you know, uh, I don't know if there is one word that I can describe how I feel, but seriously, it is too much. And it often feels like there's a direct relationship between the amount of attention and positive PR they're getting and um, the amount of repression that they can carry out at home. I recall vividly um, after Mohammed bin Salman's tour of the US when he met so many high profile figures. Um, it was not very long after he returned home that he carried out his most sweeping crackdown yet, um, the one in which he Yeah, um, funny enough, uh, during that visit when MBS uh, toured um, different offices in Silicon Valley and around the U.S., um, I was actually sitting in, at one of the major offices in Silicon Valley uh, with the Saudi flag behind me because, you know, I'm trying to uh, promote for 
the same reason, the same thing, which is to, to allow young generations to have tools to be open and connect. And at that time, I was actually suffering because my brother was disappeared two, two months ago. That was only two months after my brother's disappearance. Uh, and, uh, you know, over the time, I learned that it wasn't only my brother. It was a lot of people who got swept up the same time uh, as my brother. And then if a fellow that followed that, the, the crack on, on, um, on women activists and followed Following to that, the Khashoggi murder happened, like only four months after that visit, the Khashoggi murder happened. So it, it is really ironic that the image that, you know, they were trying to sell, um, meeting with all these CEOs and celebrities, but in reality, there is all this aggressiveness going on inside the country. Um, all this crackdown um, in, in an aggressive way. It's not even... It's not even like uh, you, you could feel rather than trying to help people to, to you know, enjoy reform, really see a positive change in their lives that can protect their dignity, dignity and freedoms and allow them to have, you know, um, a prosperous life. Um, so it is really and, you know, uh, not realistic what is being promoted out there and versus what is actually happening and to your point um ahmed is exactly the more the the promotion or the more they try to promote you know and advertise uh, to the to the west that they are being open and they are you know trying to modernize the country the more oppression is actually going on in at home the more people are being uh, uh, going through suffering and that also goes like they, why they are trying to silence people. They have all these trolls. They they hired thousands and thousands of trolls, you know, um, online army to attack people. Anyone who dares to say anything, to complain, not to, even to be an activist, just to complain about their situation, they'll be attacked and threatened. Um, one crazy example, the moment I tweeted, I wasn't an activist ever before, and the moment I decided to join Twitter because it was the main platform where all the things happening in Saudi Arabia, because there is no freedom of speech, there is no freedom of press, people gather news and to share what is actually, actually happening in the kingdom. So I joined Twitter to understand what is exactly going on. The moment I decided to tweet uh, about my brother, I got this crazy attack and crazy threats and private messages and, and on, in response to my um, simply saying, where is my brother? Um, so it just shows you the level of, of their, how much they're desperate to sell an image that is not even true, um, which is really frustrating. We're at the stage where Mohammed bin Salman is making these deals for vast sums of money and he's pulling in entertainment companies, sports companies, football clubs, uh, musicians from around the world, and uh, getting to the stage where he's even starting to buy stakes in them, uh, attempted to buy a football club. His first attempt wasn't successful. Maybe there'll be another one. Um, if we fast forward this a few years down the line, Gary, um, what does it look like? Said I'm... Um... I, I hope it would not take uh, 20 years waiting uh, to see the end of the spending sp spree and uh, to see real changes in Saudi Arabia, because timing is not great for dictators. Um, the trends, global trends are changing. 
and uh, and the, I think we we are on the right track of bringing attention to uh, human rights abuses and the, and the, the various tactics that these dictators have been successfully um, uh, implementing to uh, cover up uh, their crimes inside inside their own countries and 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 buying uh, image false image uh, of reform and prosperity uh, in the free in the free world. But I have to say that it's, 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 there's nothing surprising about the growing gap between what's happening in the country and, and uh, their activity in, in, in the free world, trying to uh, sort of wash away these negative news that are now uh, leaking from Twitter, Facebook, and other social medias. Because it, by doing these things in, in the United Kingdom or in European Union or in the United States, they, uh, let's, in this case, we're talking about MBS. Uh, he, he and his administration, they create, inevitably create uh, certain illusions in the kingdom because people are expecting certain things to happen because you cannot hide the stories. There's a, the, their, their active um, campaign of buying uh, uh, arts, uh, sports clubs, um, and investing in, in entertainment industry, it, it doesn't go unnoticed. So people have all of a sudden some expectations because he's making promises in, in, in Washington, D.C., but because of social media, it comes back. And the only way to stop you know, people from you know, rising is basically to put more, more repression. So that's why it's, it's, it's now we're seeing this kind of vicious circle. So more he is trying to wash his image in the free world, more he has to do at home to actually to kill these expectations. So just and and since the free world is not um, is not uh, so much interested um, in 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 responding with all its powers to these abuses, so uh, right now uh, MBS government sees uh, virtually no limits to keep pushing. Uh, all the activists and just ordinary people who are just uh, who can take uh, uh, his um, foreign policy escapades and 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 and, and promises uh, to be real and uh, and they expect you know these things to happen at home and of course they they immediately become targets uh, both of security apparatus and trolls and. Uh... To push the idea of no limits, um, Putin eventually got to the stage where he's uh, repeatedly assassinating people on British soil, um, and uh, multiple reports have come out um, ringing the alarm bell about uh, the amount of influence he has in British politics, but his money is now so deeply entrenched in sports clubs and other companies, and he buys so much influence that uh, the, the very political process itself seems to have been corrupted when it comes to checking his power um, and it's a, a real wor worry whether it's possible re we'll reach this stage with uh, Mohammed bin Salman or other Gulf rulers who are attempting to buy their way into Western systems in the same way. Yeah, can, uh, can I Karine? add? Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, Arish. Sorry. Yeah, so um, I, wanna, I just want to point out something. sports events and entertainment have shed the light on the human rights abuses. In the past, there was human rights abuses, maybe not at this level, 
but the more attention is brought to the kingdom, especially when <clears throat> they're trying to advertise an image, um, the, the rest of the world is going to be all focused on what is actually happening. They're waiting for results. They want to see what changes. So uh, that shed the light actually more uh, um, on the human right abuses, um, the different, you know, issues going on, including these, for example, the kafala system, uh, the, the workers, you know, the abuse of, of foreign workers and um, <clears throat> the women's rights and so forth. So it actually brought attention to all these different human right abuses uh, that, that, that probably people weren't really paying attention before. And it also pushed for even the more, the more there is oppression, the more there is resistance. So it's not always, you know, oppression doesn't always give positive results because even if I stay silent, someone else is gonna scream. You know, if it, it's a human nature, even children, if you, if you, the more you oppress them, the more they're gonna resist, the more they're gonna scream uh, because they're feeling pain. So of course, naturally they're gonna scream, they're gonna fight back. So um, the fact that, you know, that the more the, they're trying to, you know, they're trying to sell an image, out, you know, outside the kingdom, that is not real and at the same time trying to oppress the voices inside the kingdom um i don't think that's really gonna happen uh, like it, it's gonna end nicely uh it's gonna increase and increase more people are gonna feel frustrated more people are gonna just you know give up that there is gonna happen you know there's gonna any real any real change is gonna happen so they're gonna just basically feel frustrated and they will just basically give up the idea and decide this is not working we have really bad quality of life what we are losing so we don't care anymore um so we've uh, yeah, been go talking ahead. about the we've been talking about the psychology of authoritarians and why they would want to use sports and entertainment in this way before we talk about um solutions and what we can do as activists i want to uh, delve into the other side which is um the psychology of the brands and the franchises and the sports teams and the entertainers um who participate in all of this um karim you've reported on this really deeply and uh on quite a wide breadth of different organizations can you tell us a bit more about um what drives them to do this and whether they see it as a difficult decision or uh they they you know see any kind of dissonance between the things they promote and uh the places they choose to go to i mean to put it bluntly money talks so in many cases it is financial what saudi arabia and quite a few gulf states but let's focus on saudi arabia is able to offer is it's able to offer a much much higher uh payments for these events without organizations having to worry about things such as live gates and attendance and all sorts of fees that saudi arabia ends up covering for them apart from offering bigger purses for say boxers when they're fighting which is true they do make a lot more money in these cases the wwe for example was able to get a guaranteed 10-year deal with saudi arabia that's 10 years worth of income from Saudi Arabia that's now guaranteed for them. That helps like in, in exchange for that, they're, 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 they're more secure financially, et cetera. To them, they see it as a worthwhile investment. Very rarely does that uh, affect their ethos or their morality because there is no such thing with them. They 
fall under this uh, umbrella of believing that this is an act of progress. WWE has been quite vocal about its relationship and they've defended Saudi Arabia extensively. For instance, uh, one of the CEOs, Stephanie McMahon, a woman actually as well, has been very vocal about her support for this because she believes that you can either stay silent as an organization or you can fight actively fight for progress. So she believes that holding these events, these entertainment events in Saudi Arabia and insisting that slowly they try and integrate female uh, wrestlers into these events, they've, they've been able to do it once so far, is a sign of progress. I believe that it's superficial, but that's what the cover, that's what the company argues, and that's what a lot of its fans who buy into the propaganda have believed. So the WWE is able to not only succeed financially, but it's able to convince its audience that it's actually doing good by doing so. Lots of other organizations are able to do the same thing. The Premier League is under no such uh, uh, obligation to defend itself. The teams, in most cases, don't care to defend themselves. Newcastle, for instance, was very much behind the the takeover by Saudi Arabia to the extent that there was a significant amount of fans on social media that had put a picture of King Salman as their like Twitter icon and their social media icon. That's how much they were in support of it. They hate their current owner. The I forget his name to be honest, but they hate the current owner that's there right now. They've seen what a cash injection from Gulf states has done to a place like uh, Manchester City. So a club like Manchester City, which ended up winning the Premier League, they want the same thing for themselves. So they're able to willfully ignore the concerns that come up and all the issues that arise with, uh, with human rights, etc. But at the same time, just as Arij mentioned, sports washing is a double-edged sword. At the end of the day, it's a fantastic tactic for either sports diplomacy, a distraction tactic for when it comes to human rights abuses. But... It is also an opportunity to raise awareness and for people to become educated on a topic they would never have thought about before. The vast majority of Newcastle fans, or let's say a portion of Newcastle fans, would never have cared to even research or to learn about Saudi Arabia. And I bet you for every five or six that, uh, that buy into the propaganda or choose to ignore it because they don't see why it will affect them, a handful of others will feel very unsettled and very uncomfortable. And now you have a few more people who are aware of human rights concerns. Slowly, that sort of resistance continues to build. And in the most optimistic sense, we hope that this can be truly an obstacle to Saudi Arabia inter inter uh, interfering in the sports world as much as it has right now. But it's still up in the air because we've even seen Post-Jamal Khashoggi's horrific uh, dismemberment and assassination, we should have assumed then and there that every entity was going to part ways with Saudi Arabia. Some did. Endeavor, uh, which is owned by Ari Emanuel, a Hollywood power broker, who own, actually owns the UFC as well, the Ultimate Fighting Championship, actually severed his ties with Saudi Arabia. One of the few decent moves that Endeavor has ever done. But very few people actually followed. As a matter of fact, the WWE was supposed to host an event in Saudi Arabia just the following month. And they went ahead with it, despite both Republican and Democratic congressmen saying, no, this is a horrific idea. Do not do it. They did not care. They went. And what they did while they were there was actually propaganda as well. They promoted Jeddah. They promoted Riyadh. They promoted this country of progress. And they made no mention of Jamal Khashoggi. So, again, it is a double-edged sword. There are advantages, but there's a significant um, amount of disadvantages that come to the, from this as well. Uh, let, me, let, no, let me say, this is not, you know, the double-edged proposition. It's, it's, it's a greatest fallacy. In history, we cannot find a simple story, well, a single story, when the appeasement and uh, this kind of engagement, uh, liberalization of trade ever 
help to liberalize dictatorship. To the contrary, it emboldened them to continue their aggression if they had, you know, aggressive foreign policy. Uh, uh, and of course, it never stopped them from power abuses inside, uh, inside their respective countries. So it's uh, going back to Nazi Germany, to the Soviet Union, to all the dictators, and now looking at Putin or at um, uh, Chi Chinese uh, Communist Party or uh, Saudi, uh, Saudi um, dictatorship. So we, it's time and again, we see the same story. Uh, following the money, uh, the, the sport organizations, they try to come up with an excuse. They try to come up with a story and their famous excuse, oh, we're there to help the progress. Hell is progress. There's nothing is happening. It's, it's absolute lie because it, it's not supported by a single success story. And uh, what bothers me that these organizations like NBA, for instance, America, that are so aggressive now in pursuing racial justice in the United States, and uh, their campaign, massive campaigns, uh, to force uh, corporations to actually invest in 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 these noble uh, uh, causes. And at the same time, they see nothing wrong receiving tons of money from China. So but that's the NBA's that's involvement that's... in these uh, campaigns for racial justice in the U.S. When they previously turned yeah. a completely blind eye, and when uh, American football, oh, for example, ostracized players who got involved in those campaigns, shows that change is possible. Absolutely. It just requires Exa absolutely. A... That, that, that's what I'm saying exactly, Ahmed. Sorry for interrupting you, but that's exactly the point I wanted to make. So that's the it's it's money talks. But we just have to make people aware about, about uh, human rights abuses elsewhere because at the end of the day, you know, this is, we should stop, you know, we should stop using double standards. People in Saudi Arabia, in Russia, in China, they are entitled to the same rights as people in America or in the United Kingdom or in the European Union. And, and until this duplicity, these double standards, this hypocrisy is not ended, so that will, that will always leave a regal room for, for dictators to make deals with corporations because at the end of the day, it doesn't hurt NBA, NFL, uh, um, uh, uh, Premier League in the, in the United Kingdom uh, to, um, uh, to, to make these deals because it, again, it, doesn't, it doesn't threaten their financial well-being. I think this is uh, one of the difficulties uh, activists face. We expect for there to be automatic outrage and revulsion when uh, something happens, like, for example, Saudi Arabia attempts to buy uh, Newcastle United Football Club. Um, I think Karimi mentioned that uh, when that was going through, a lot of people who support the team were incredibly excited about it, and they couldn't wait to see the back of their current owner. Um, the change in mindset isn't automatic, um, but it requires um, a lot of uh, strategic long-term organizing especially locally, building connections with fan groups, educating people about uh, the crimes of these regimes and how they treat their own people. Um, you can't just expect them to, uh, you know, wake up one morning and realize that, you know, these prospective owners um, have a, a, a horrific human rights track record. I actually agree with everything that Gary just said uh, entirely. My only reason for mentioning uh, the double-edged sword in that case was the fact that the best thing we can hope for as journalists, as activists, etc., is raising international awareness. And the idea that these sports events are, are being held in these authoritarian places awareness. The sad truth of the matter is raising awareness is never going to be enough, and sports fans on their own will not raise enough pressure. 
in, in most cases, like we even think about the Newcastle, since you just referenced the Newcastle Saudi uh, takeover, the failed bid. You know, the real one of the real pivotal reasons that it failed was because Bain Sports, the Qatari owned Bain Sports Network, lobbied really, really hard against it. And and went back to the United States and went back to the Premier League, insisting that Saudi Arabia was one of the major piracy uh, uh, company, one of the countries that was doing a lot of piracy with regards to the Premier League. And all this was true, and that's made the takeover much, much more difficult because Bain Sports is extraordinarily powerful. So what really made the difference at the end of the day was not the activism, was it? It was, again, more money issues and more financial concerns and that kind of stress and burden. So we are still fighting an uphill battle no matter what. So um, on the topic um, I want to add one comment about uh, the double-edged sword. Um, uh, you mentioned, um, uh, Karim, that uh, the the, um, the supporters of they they hated their uh, you know current owner. They wanted a new owner and all of that. On the other side, there was actually a lot of other uh, people who are um, UK based and uh, who are UK citizens and even around the world have expressed their, some sort of frustration about learning about the human right abuses. And I I saw actually more than once mentioning that they that there should be a protest. They're going to protest and in you know if this deal goes through, whenever there's a sport event or whenever there's a football event or you know they're going to just basically hold signs of Kashyyyk and whatever uh, you know the the uh, human rights activists that are being kidnapped and tortured and they they're going to you know show their frustration through through you know the game uh, so there is actually both both voices there is those who just don't care except for the short-term money um, you know looking at the at the case sh sh short-sightedly and there are uh, those other ones who are actually can can connect to the pain of the families and they can connect to the pain of the you, you know uh, to the stories of the human right abuses and they they would feel that they're you know they have to react uh, you know in a way to a you know, to speak up against these abuses. So it can actually go both ways. It, you know, you have those people who are with, they don't care. And then you have all these other people who are actually, they are, you know, they're against. Uh, so it's unpredictable, to be honest. It all depends. But with, with the, after the murder of Khashoggi, it's really hard to die, to sway away from the human right abuses in, in the kingdom with simply just... It's actually, it, it is amplifying every time there is an event, all the NGOs and different, you know, even uh, activists who are, you know, around around the world, they are always criticizing, you know, what happened about what happened to Khashoggi, about the irony of, you know, the, the what is into pieces. It's really, I mean, I can't even imagine how those people even thought of doing that. It is really gruesome. So the, the level of that abuse, people cannot just simply dismiss it and say, okay, whatever other abuses, they are okay, they can wait, and those sport events are going to bring change eventually. What change are they going to bring? Even if they, you know, brought change, say, to women, they're going to have women wrestlers. What about the women who are in jail being tortured? What about the women who are, you know, fighting for their lives? What separated from their mothers and families so you know it's it's really hypocrisy it's not real change just adding add, adding to what has been said is now is the 
it's if you are talking about quote unquote positive influence of sports events to a dictatorship look at russia 2014 winter olympics yes it's a big event and it will show russia is open blah 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 olympic was over and putin invaded ukraine so that's that's it you know it's because it emboldened him he he thought he could buy whatever so he just it's it's uh, there's, there's no opposition so he's king king of the hill and uh, and uh, he's just uh, you know is uh, uh, empowered uh, and emboldened by this world attention so being in the center is just somehow it just you know it uh, it probably gives them an extra impulse for a dictator to do something so so dramatic so i again going back to history so i i wrote an article saying that it's uh, um um it it took uh, hitler uh if you count from berlin olympics to austrian anschluss it's uh, 18 months it took putin 18 days to invade, to 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 uh, annex crimea so it's everything accelerates these days and uh, offering them sports events and offering this this and kind of you know uh, world recognition just you know makes them even more arrogant and more aggressive sometimes he actually does it within uh, during the event as well for example in 2018 during the world cup he raised the retirement age for people in russia and he had that pass through uh, through the state duma while people were out celebrating russia's incredible streak during the actual event he had that pass without most people noticing there was a bit of outrage internationally but within russia it was quite silent at the time at least from what i could tell and yep. it ended up passing and yep. he's still there it's, yeah <laughs> perfect perfect smoke screen there's an interesting comment uh khadija points Absolutely. out a campaign called diet prada um i think it's an account online which points out the hypocrisy of fashion influencers and uh these uh events where they find uh um basically uh brands which uh build their build the way they show themselves to the world based on certain values when uh their entire operations are um based on the opposite um and i think um shaming campaigns have been very successful in the past um some of the people who have used them best are human rights foundation um gary you guys have had a campaign for at least the last year to put the spotlight on musicians who attempt to perform in dictatorships. And I've seen that you guys have had a lot of success and you've uh, persuaded uh, many of them to pull out of these events. Can you tell me more about that? Oh, we started earlier. So you can look at, our, at a list of, of uh, personalities, of uh, entertainers, uh, actors and musicians and uh, rappers who have been targeted by HRF and some of them decided to cancel. Some of them went, but uh, uh, but eventually contributed the the uh, the proceeds of this um, of these ill-conceived trips, like Hillary Swank when she went to Chechnya to some charity causes. So it's it's an ongoing campaign that uh, I would say it's it's at least five or six years we have been aggressively targeting these people and just making it more and more difficult for them to travel to the to this. Uh, countries uh, to perform um, for these dictators, help them to win some kind of uh, um, uh, popularity uh, among their own people, and, and then just, you know, fly back with, with tons of cash in their coffers. Um, actually, one of the latest uh, successes was to stop, you know, a, a, a trip of, of American rapper to Belarus 
to support uh, uh, Belarusian dictator Lukashenko before his uh, fake elections. So, and the campaign actually worked. Um, and uh, it's you know it's uh, it seems that um, you know it's 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 all about at the end of the day it's all probably about money as 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 uh, Karim talked about you know one money interest beating another money interest in in Newcastle case it's it's for 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 these for these uh, um, uh, performers uh, it's it's a it's a simple calculation yes they can cash million two three million dollars but the the damage at home could be much bigger. So they simply make this calculation. And if we can show that the, the downsides could be significant, maybe not as big, but still significant, then it could be a game changer. And of course, uh, there are the occasional allies in this struggle as well. Um, so you have um, a few people who, m most people, I think, most entertainers uh, quietly cancel in the face of uh, great pressure. But if you actually do the right thing and they make a statement talking about, uh, for example, I think it was Nicki Minaj who in the end made a statement in support of LGBT rights in Saudi Arabia when she cancelled her performance. Um, there have been some sportsmen who've been uh, very outspoken without having to be forced to. For example, Enes Kanter, the basketball star, who's uh, been very outspoken on the topic of democracy and human rights. Um, but unfortunately, many of these people tend to be in an economic straitjacket. Um, Karim, can you tell me whether there's any more figures like this in sports and uh, how you see the prospects of uh, building these kinds of alliances? I know that there was definitely a few, uh, just to use the, the example of the WWE, which I still think is the biggest really sports entertainment entity that signed a deal recently with, uh, with Saudi Arabia, apart from the one-off boxing events they've held. There were a few wrestlers who have insisted that they're not going. One of them is a, a Syrian-Canadian wrestler named Sami Zayn, and he refused, flat out refused to go to Saudi Arabia. As a matter of fact, he also wasn't welcome because he was so outspoken about it. And there's a handful of other wrestlers that shows that with their power, they're not going to go. The problem is, is that when we're talking about sports, uh, sports stars, it really depends on the organization because in some organization, if they don't have an association, if they don't have a union, they can't bargain for these sort of things. They have very limited... Uh, they're themselves in an, they're in an economic straitjacket, to use that term again. But uh, because if, say, they don't go or they don't follow orders and go to whatever they're supposed to be doing or hold this event there, they could get fired. It could cost them financially, etc. That applies to the WWE, where they're independent contractors. They have no union or association that actually gives them this voice to 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 argue with the WWE's completely like unanimous decision that they're going to have a deal with Saudi Arabia. This applies as well to combat sports and of all kinds. It applies to the UFC. It applies to boxing. They don't have associations to bargain with. They don't have a voice, a united voice, a unified voice at all. So they're stuck doing what the organization wants to do. It's very, very different when we're talking about the NFL, the NHL, the NBA, etc., that all have their own associations. Even tennis has the same thing. So you'll, that's the exact reason why someone like Enes Kanter can be so outspoken while at the same time being such a high-profile figure in the NBA. Nobody can stop him. That's the truth of the matter. Uh, unfortunately, you do face backlash and pressure from someone like say, you have a Colin Kaepernick, who was the first to kneel during the uh, during his time in the NFL as a quarterback and was basically shunned by the organization. No team wanted to pick him up afterwards, despite the union, despite that he couldn't be sued or silenced that way. They still pressured him out of the way. And he continued to use his voice despite not being able to play now. Now the NFL says it's all Black Lives Matter. 
But where were they a few years ago when Colin Kaepernick was saying the exact same thing? So again, sports stars sometimes are able to use that voice and use it very effectively. Ennis Kenter and Colin Kaepernick come to mind immediately. Then there are other ones that even if they do want to use it, they're, in, they're unable to do so specifically because of the limitations that they have as, as, as athletes. Someone mentioned the Paris-Dakar rally in Saudi Arabia, and our friend uh, Janice Vakadaza uh, noted that they uh, went to Bolivia as well and they successfully boycotted it. It seems like uh, the Dakar rally have a real affinity to dictatorships. Um, but Arij, have you ever come across um, any of these celebrity figures in the course of your campaigning, whether musicians or athletes, and uh, how do they react when they talk to somebody who's directly affected, or, and how do they react when the facts of the matter yes, are... Yes, uh, so I... Um, actually um, communicate and come across uh, one of the uh, one of the celebrities um, an athlete and uh, they basically um, they were already there you know they they it's it's too late to boycott or too late to say anything but all they could share is to share their sympathy and share their you know um, uh, like uh, uh, just that they are, you know, supportive, but they cannot do anything. Um, so that's another challenge. Uh, that goes back to what Kareem just mentioned. Some of them are just, you know, that whatever company is hiring them, uh, they are, you know, they just follow the guidelines and they can't really, uh, you know, go against it. There are those ones who are actually brave and with and uh, in fact, those ones, uh, you know, who take a stand get more publicity and on the long run, they, they are, uh, you know, uh, getting more attention from the media, from the media because, uh, because of her reaction, uh, stating clearly that she is, uh, she is not happy with the human rights abuses. Um, so the... There are the, those ones who would just go for the short term gain and okay, we're going to get a lot of money or just go with the deal. But then currently there's a lot of backlash from the media. The media is all focused right now on human rights abuses. So even those celebrities are at risk of, you know, the, their reputation and, you know, the, the attention that they are going to get from the media uh, because media is really crucial and critical for for uh, famous figures the you know what is being said in the media is really important to them um so you know yeah in terms of uh, uh contact i i got in contact with you know a couple and their reaction was really uh you know a lot of empathy and um support indirect support because what they can do in actual life versus what you know connecting with real people and feeling their pain is completely different and i guess there isn't yet much history of people trying to um directly engage these sport figures on a mass scale and get them to care about these causes but i feel like um that's still to come in this era where they're all on social media, they're all engaging with their fans directly and uh, beginning to get more used to talking um, about the things they care about rather than the old kind of athlete stereotype of uh, just shut up and look pretty and kick the ball. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think it also has an, uh, an effect. Um, if it didn't have an effect right now, it does have an effect on future events because now they understand that there is human human 
faces behind it. There are people who are suffering and will actually make them, you know, more careful about future events and also speak to other people who are in the organization that they are part of, uh, which, you know, hopefully will push for a, a better, you know, response in the future to, to uh, in terms of you know, raising awareness, number one, and this is the most important thing because a lot of these companies probably they don't even know where, you know, uh, what is Saudi Arabia, you know, it's to them, it's some a place that is new. Uh, but learning all about the human rights abuses probably will shed a different light on how they approach, um, you know, uh, hosting those events in, in the kingdom that will make them think about the you know, all these people are being, you know, they are being tortured and they are being jailed for simply uh, asking for a simple, you know, just simply to have a basic, uh, you know, normal life like they do. Another really interesting comment from Khadija is that uh, most of these big companies do a social media report after major events to analyze the sentiment it created. Um, they have a very keen eye for their brand and how it's affected by everything that they do which uh, it just underlines the opportunity that there is for activists who can uh, make enough noise around these events and persuade uh, enough people to take the consequences seriously. Uh, but as I said already, so the most important market for these corporations is still the United States. So, and as long as they, 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 they feel that this market is not endangered, they don't care because they look for new opportunities. So the fresh markets that they can grab and uh, it all, it's, they can easily validate uh, it by, you know, by all the stories. They, they'll hire enough uh, PR uh, uh, um, support to, to um, uh, explain uh, why? Why they're doing this? You know, just as, as as a noble attempt to open up the country, to liberalize, to help people—all this nonsense. But the moment the, their prime market, domestic market, is in danger, they will they will sing a very different song. So the question is, where is the Me Too movement? Where is the LGBTQ community? So the moment these voices in the United States will start pointing out at this horrendous abuses in Saudi Arabia, things can change. <laughs> because there's no, no market in the world can compensate for potential damages in the United States. Uh, and, and we already saw, you know, what's happening with, with, with Black Lives Matter, with, with the uh, movement for, for racial justice. They changed instantly, almost overnight. Now they're all aware about the problems and they're willing to invest uh, considerable amount of money to change to change their image in their in America. Now all we have to do is connect these things. The moment the moment these things are connected, the moment the genocide of Uyghurs, the moment of, of prosecution of of gay people in Saudi Arabia or in just name 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 country, the moment of, of uh, power abuses against against women in in uh, in some of the countries in, in uh, Middle East or Central Asia, the moment these things are connected to, to, to American uh, um, uh, respective movements, that's, that, will be the, that will be the change uh, uh, of the game at, and it will turn the table. The power of the consumer. So Karim, I want to ask you about um, another angle entirely, which is uh, there's, uh, we, we all acknowledge that there's a massive amount of self-interest in this industry, um, but there's an argument that uh, 
participating in these uh, deals actually harms the sports themselves. Um, and can you tell us a little bit about from your investigations, the way that you've seen this come about? In ways that it's actually damaged organizations themselves. I'd say, uh, again, I feel like I'm, I'm beating the same drum here, but the WWE has seen it affect them. As a matter of fact, quite recently in April 2020, uh, several stakeholders filed an antitrust lawsuit against the, U uh, the WWE, specifically alleging that Saudi Arabia had held several of the wrestlers hostage while they were in uh, Saudi Arabia on an airplane at one point. Uh, it's, it's, it's a detailed investigation that's still ongoing at this point. But uh, the WWE is facing significant backlash from its stakeholders due to the fact that there is apparently money that's gone, that's gone awry during this, uh, during this deal so far that we're in the third year of a 10-year deal. Uh, several of the wrestlers are very unhappy about it. There's all sorts of the company in itself, which thought that this was going to stabilize themselves over over 10 years with this added uh, cash uh, cash flow injection, has actually come uh, and, and bit them a bit. So we are yet to see the extent of this lawsuit. I mean, it's a very new lawsuit, and anyone who knows anything about antitrust lawsuits knows it takes years to even get them up and running. So it will be years before we really see the ramifications of this current lawsuit but it's very likely that this will embolden even more people to come forward, even more people to reject what's happening. The, even, the, even the very first event, I remember covering and writing about, writing sort of multiple articles leading up to it as saying, why is Saudi Arabia going to, or why has the WWE agreed to this deal with Saudi Arabia? What are the incentives, et cetera? And a lot of this was obviously what we were discussing. Remember the backlash I got from, from wrestling fans online, all of whom were telling me basically the same spiel and the same propaganda that the WWE was pushing, which is they're attempting to, pro like, this is a creation of progress, etc., and it's movements for progress. When I write about it now, I get a lot less backlash, more and more so because people are finally seeing what's going on. It's taken a few events for them to really understand that the WWE is not going there throwing on their best events, etc. They're going to make money and to basically be a propaganda platform for Saudi Arabia to the point that I'll say, I'll say this, there was, I rarely watch wrestling. It's not something I watch, but I could, someone sent me this clip once that I just couldn't believe actually happened. They brought out Iranian wrestlers from the WWE into the arena to this crowd of Saudi people who, of course, we all know the, the horrible geo geopolitical tensions going on between Saudi and Iran. Mm -hmm. Then they brought out these Saudi wrestlers that weren't even part of the WWE and had them beat them up while the crowd cheered them on, basically. And a blatant display of propaganda. And people are finally understanding that this is the case. The company in itself is shining a terrible light in the fact that it's willing to just be this propaganda tool for an authoritarian regime. But we're yet to see the full extent of what will happen. But yes, the WWE is definitely suffering. Other organizations down the, down the line will suffer from this uh, deal as well. But since we're just so early into it, not many have yet. So uh, we've been talking for just over an hour. Does anyone want to add anything before you wrap it up? And are there any more questions from the audience? Uh, just to follow up what Kareem said a minute ago, so it's about the negative influence to the sport, because um, these kind of deals, they involve corruption. And corruption always, you know, eats the organization from inside and uh, um, maybe not immediately, but eventually it, it uh, 
downgrade the standards, uh, first financial standards, and then of course integrity of the organization. And uh, and it just you know it it turns sport in 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 in, in a propaganda machine. And uh, whether we like it or not, it's uh, all these clubs, all these. Uh, um, uh, sports events, they become pawns uh, in, in the game that has no rules. This is not a game of chess. This is the game where the rules are being dictated by the interest of, of the respective uh, dictators. And that's why we, we hear stories about corruption from IOC, from FIFA, because these organizations, they, they used to deal with dictators. And the fact is that they always welcome dictators because dictators offered money with very little, you know, uh, conditions, if any conditions. And, uh, and of course, dictators could pay more because unlike free countries, the budget comes from propaganda. So it's not just, you know, the budget uh, to invest in, in, in receiving profits. Uh, and uh, and the, the, in, in, in an open competition uh, uh, that is being um, uh, judged by these international sport organizations, uh, free wealth is, is, is always... Um, uh, is always the underdog because you know if you try to invest money and see, you're looking for for return and on the other side you have an investor quote unquote that doesn't care about financial return but looking for something else for political return for uh, uh, reputational return so for uh, an ability to build this lobbying uh, contacts in the free world so we know who's 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 going to win so that's why the effect of all these deals you know. Uh, and we, we talked about Newcastle, but we know how many clubs already in the hands of, of the groups uh, from undemocratic countries. And uh, whether we like it or not, we are, you know, we are feeling this influence. Yeah, one, one point uh, worth mentioning also, uh, someone also mentioned that in the comment is... Uh, uh, what happened in, in Russia in terms of uh, the Olympics, uh, the, the consequences at the end, uh, it, it was negative because uh, Russia lost its spot at the Olympics because of the uh, doping scandal. Um, and, you know, that got escalated um, a suit, you know, a, a lawsuit case. Um, the, the, the same thing, you know, um, right now, these companies have to worry about their uh, their involvement and and risks in terms of you know getting tangled into uh, these legal you know um, cases because for example the you know the murder of Kashukji or the the, the the hacking and the spying uh, case that is going on right now uh, that affected Twitter um, these can you know you, you never know where it's going to go it's it can escalate uh, into you know, uh, uh, some serious um, case at the end. So um, those entertainment uh, companies or even sporting companies, they got to, you know, also think about the, you know, the consequences in the future, dealing with, with um, um, bad actors that they can, you know, there's no clear rules, no, no cr clear, like, um, uh, commitment uh, can kind of get them involved in really bad you know, uh, situation in terms of, uh, you know, uh, cases and so forth. Um, so the, 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 you know, the complications or the, the, the it, you know, it can go both ways. Something that has to be kept in mind. And we have very, uh, you know, important example here is the Russian doping. And right now, with the same thing, there's, there's this documentary about the Russian doping. And right now, there's this other documentary about uh, the murder of Kashukji. Uh, so obviously with the media, things are not being just simply, you know, looked over 
just because of money? Uh, I have to I have to say that I still more believe in the power of of a consumer, so of the public outrage, uh, lawsuits. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, hold my breath. Media, we know that's uh, the money from uh, MBS or Putin, not just buying soccer clubs, not just buying uh, 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 art uh, or entertainment events. They also already found their way uh, in, 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 in many media organizations. In, and, uh, and whether it's social media or print media or TV, we always can feel the, this, 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 this influence. But the consumer, it's, 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 it's a game of numbers. And, and the moment there's a public outrage, and that's again going back to America, even to you, or the echo of this campaign of racial justice in Europe, the moment there's a public outrage, it's every, everything changes. So that's, that should be, I believe, our target, you know, just to make sure that people will treat suffering of other human beings, whether in Saudi Arabia, in Russia, in Iran, in Turkey, in, uh, in China, the same way they look at the injustice in the United States or the United Kingdom. I guess some people would find that to really be a what we're looking pessimistic for is almost a, I'd say yeah. that's uh, very optimistic because at the end of the day that tells us about our own individual power to affect change um, by speaking to those around us uh, and it's the direction the way uh, the direction that the world is going in with more interconnection and the ability to talk uh, to consumers and form groups of like-minded individuals and build connections between coalitions uh, as you mentioned in the US with the Black Lives Matter movement, Me Too, um, special interest groups um, representing the grassroots rather than uh, economic power. And uh, that's, I guess, the, the antidote to corporate greed is hitting them where it hurts in their pockets. Kareem, were you going to say something? I was going to just add on to that saying, really, if they're using, they being authoritarian regimes are using these multi-pronged uh, tactics for propaganda, to push propaganda or their whatever uh, policies they're looking to push, we ought to be using multiple tactics as well. So really, uh, as, as Gary said, it's really uh, public outrage is key. I think uh, human rights organizations raising awareness and passing shaming, these shaming campaigns is also key mainstream media whenever we can have them on our side an outlet for instance like the guardian writing about uh, the newcastle takeover was key because with, given their platform given their reach that was key to actually raising that awareness and passing and that the transfer of knowledge and information require is, is required that's where you require the media and so when you have all that combined plus sports fans are not as apathetic as they usually can be that's really when you have this amazing uh, sort of potential and that's what we need to fight with. It's multi-pronged on our end as well. One side will very rarely win on its own unless it's a significantly powerful campaign, unless you really are doing something that was able to hit on, uh, on the financial uh, pressure points that these organizations have. But uh, even Black Lives Matter required support from multiple ends. So that's really the best we can hope for is that we can unite against a, a united force as well. Yeah, I, I can add to that point. Actually, the, the Yemen war, for example, when it started, it, there wasn't really public attention to it uh, and it was ongoing. And I remember seeing 
really sad pictures uh, of of uh, children and uh, women and you know uh, civilians being being killed, and um, I was wondering how come. How come you know? How come the like the, the the human rights organizations are okay with that? How come there is no attention to that? And just you know, shortly after that, once people started talking about it in the West, especially in America, there was few activists in America who actually saw that and it caught their attention and they were furious about it and they started to tweet about it and talk about it and you know uh, talk to the media about it and I remember there's this woman who actually went on hunger strike just to protest what is going on in, in Yemen an American woman and she was recording you know every day her her hunger strike progress and that's what really caught the attention you know uh, made the uh, caught the public attention and the the, the world you know uh, human organizations started talking about it and people started to talk you know to be more aware aware of, about it and there's all these journalists who started to share pictures of what is going on so that that goes to the point that Gary was mentioning earlier that you, you know um, uh, the pressure from the U.S. is very uh, critical, and you know, from the people and not just the U.S. I would say even around the world, the more people are aware of what is going on and speaking up, definitely would help. Uh, you know, uh, help the as activists or just help in terms of, uh, uh, you know, uh, pushing for a change, better change for human rights abuses. So I think we'll call it a day there. Um, there's a lot that uh, human rights activists can uh, apply from this in their different campaigns for justice. Uh, one more question. How can people support your work, Arij and Karim? Uh, first of all, thank you for asking that question. It really means a lot uh, to us. Uh, one way is to uh, educate people about the abuses. Um, one way you can support police, mention the activists or the uh, people who are in prison, talk about them. Um, I, for example, try as much as possible to tweet about my brother Free Sadhan um, and talk about Abdurrahman Sadhan, um, his case and, you know, the disappearance. There are other activists out there. You can check uh, the human rights organizations, one of which is Al-Qast for human rights. They have a list of all different activists who are, or, uh, you know, just people who are being present for all different reasons, including activists. Um, follow us on Twitter retweet, uh, speak up about those issues, um, about the Saudi, you know, heroes or the activists who are being in prison, uh, ask for them to be released uh, and question those entertainment businesses who are, or uh, sport, uh, sport businesses who are, you know, uh, trying to host events in Saudi Arabia. Uh, one way is to push for changes, to always question human rights abuses and mentioning people by name sometimes help because it puts a face to the issue, face to the, to the challenge. Um, what about this person? Why is he disappeared for two and a half years? Why he cannot his family? By the way, he's a human rights aid worker. Uh, he's a he's an employee of the Red Crescent, uh, which is part of the Red, you know uh, Red Cross. So uh, that just poses another challenge to humanitarian you know uh, companies around the world. Uh, the women rights activist is is uh, you know uh, they are being tortured and harassed, uh, sexually harassed. And, you know, just mentioning names and mentioning their cases can help a lot in terms of highlighting those issues and pushing for a hopefully a positive change to improve human rights, you know, situation in Saudi Arabia. 
and Kareem, the same question was asked of you. Arish really said it. Arish really uh, said it perfectly. There's only a few things I can add uh, from there, and really just expanding on her points, which is always, always challenge propaganda when you see it. Do not join the ranks of the willfully ignorant. Be aware. Read articles, read everything, read the information that's required of you. Do not uh, be apathetic. Do not be like those sports fans that are allowing and just people in general that are allowing this to happen right now. Fight against it because that's the only option we have at this point. And other than that, yes, supporting our work would be wonderful because that helps us continue to do what we do, which at the end of the day is raising more awareness. So as long as we have that support system behind us, we'll continue to be able to do what we do. Uh just one final suggestion. Uh, uh, it's called correction. Never ask dictator a favor. Never ask him to release someone. Always demand. <laughs> we must demand justice. Uh, that's the only way to move forward. The show of strength is the only way to break the shield of um, uh, indifference. Yes, I agree with that. Justice and equality and human rights is a given birth, it's a birthright, Absolutely. it's not a privilege that is just being handed over. It is actually a birthright. And uh, that's that goes to the fact that, you know, we don't just, you know, beg for, for you know, for human rights and for our dignity. We have to demand it. Uh, it is a, a birthright. We're humans. We're not slaves. So definitely, you know, um, like you mentioned, Gary, yep. we demand justice. We don't just yep. we ask just simply for justice. We demand justice. It is our birthright. Yep. Good. Thanks very much. It's yeah, been an absolutely. extremely enlightening conversation. Silence kills people. All the best. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Thank you.